So, good morning, everybody. Um, Elijah, Elijah, we've been listening, we've been doing a series of Elijah, we've been looking at Elijah for probably a couple of months now, sometime at the beginning of May. We started, and on and off, we've gone through the life of uh, Elijah. Um, at this point, the life of Elijah is kind of strange, because it doesn't quite come to a, a usual conclusion. In this story, uh, Elijah and Elisha are going around, and it says, it's just, I'm reading a few bits from 2 Kings chapter 2, they're going around, and the prophets say, don't you know to Elisha that the Lord is going to take Elijah from you? And then, so they start off in, where they start off? They start off in Gilgal, and they go through there. Then Elijah, Elijah says, okay, Elisha, wait here, I'm going on, I'm going to Jericho. And Elisha says, no, I'm going with you. And when they get there, the prophets say, Elisha, don't you know that God's going to take Elijah from you? He says, yes, I know, and I'm sticking on there with him. And then it goes on again to the Jordan. And they get to the Jordan, and Elijah takes his mantle, his cloak, strikes the water, and a bit like Joshua, they go across the Jordan into, into the, the wilderness. And there, Elijah says to Elisha, what do you want of me? And Elisha says, I want a double portion of your spirit. I've seen what you're doing, and I want to carry on doing what you're doing even more. And Elijah says, well, if you're with me when I'm taken, then that will be fine. And they go on. And we can now come to something where it is often misquoted. Elijah doesn't go up to heaven in a chariot of fire. Elijah is taken up to heaven, they say, in the whirlwind. But there's a chariot of fire that comes between Elisha and Elijah. And after Elijah has gone, his mantle comes back. And Elisha picks up the mantle. But he's the wrong side of the Jordan. And he gets back to the Jordan and he did what Elijah did. Struck the water and the waters parted and he walked back. And the prophets say, we know that the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And that was the, the story at the end. But I want to take a kind of slightly wider look at Elijah. And Elisha as well, so we hope we've got time. Now, Elijah is absolutely huge figure in the Old Testament. I don't know if you realise this, but there are only about 20 pages at least in my Bible, that mention Elijah. From the beginning, when he turns up and said it's not going to rain, until this point here, when he's taken up into heaven. Only 20 pages, but he's a huge figure. If I get the right button. If you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament is divided into four sections, four main sections. The early parts of the Old Testament... Uh, the law, the, the history, 
Kings and Chronicles and all that comes in the history. Then we get the wisdom and the poetry, that's Psalms, Job, um, Proverbs, that sort of thing. And then we get the prophets. Now, quite clearly, Moses is someone who represents the law, often called the law of Moses. And I haven't got any particular individuals for history or wisdom, but Elijah represents the prophets. Now, he didn't write, there isn't a book of Elijah. There's Isaiah, there's, you know, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the rest of it. But Elijah represents, if anyone does, the prophets from the Old Testament. So Elijah and Elisha. Elijah, okay? He represents the prophets. We know his name. I think somebody mentioned this in one of the talks. His name means, my God is Yahweh. My God is God. He represents the prophets even though there's no book. Why? One, because he predates most of the significant ones. Elijah was around at about 3,000 years ago. About 1,000 BC, 900 BC, something like that. Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah are all a little bit newer than that. He was one of the, the first, there were prophets before him, but he's one of the main prophets at the kind of beginning of that stream. He appears at a time of major crisis. Now, I think, again, we, this has been said, the, the, the Hebrew kingdom of 12 tribes that came back from um, Egypt and came over to Jericho, over to Jordan and had the confrontation at Jericho has kind of fractured a little bit. Two tribes have been lost. There's Judah as one kind of nation and there's Israel as not 12 tribes but only 10. Even more, this uh, nation of 10 has been um, subverted. They turned away from God. They turned to Baal and we've had the whole story of Um, Elijah, his first words are, it's not going to rain. And Baal was their god of fertility. And he said, forget fertility. Jenny's grass is going brown. There's no rain. That's what happens. And he said, there will be no rain. And there was no rain. So there's a real confrontation. And I think Nigel talked to us about the kind of the culmination of that at Mount Carmel, where um, God sent fire from heaven but Baal was strangely quiet. But more than anything, I think the thing that cements Elijah as the kind of the representative of the prophets was the encounter he had with God. Now we sang that hymn, Luke picked it out, O Still Small Voice of Calm. Now, Elijah had overcome the prophets of Baal but had been threatened and was in the desert and Elijah is kind of saying I've had it Paul was talking about this a few weeks ago and God says come here and uh, we know the story and um, curiously God takes Elijah and check my resources on this but takes Elijah 
to the same place where he met with Moses. It's called Mount Sinai back in Genesis and Exodus, but Mount Horeb, a lot of are looking it up, a lot of people say it's the same place. And Elijah met with God, not in the earthquake, the wind and the fire, although God is often associated with earthquake, wind and fire. In Pentecost, they said the, there was fire on all the people there. And uh, there was a sound of rushing mighty wind. Um, Isaiah says that whole foundation shook and earthquakes, wind and fire associated with the power of God. But for Elijah, it was the still, small voice. So Elijah is a representative. Now, jumping forward to Jesus, on the f- when you are starting to say something, when you are starting a ministry, you say some very important things at the beginning Maybe very important things in the middle and very important things at the end. But at the beginning, what did Jesus say? Sermon on the Mount, everybody. He starts off with Beatitudes. Change the way you're thinking. Blessed are the meek. He then goes on to talk about we, or the nation that are listening, being salt and light, having a responsibility in the communities that we find ourselves to bring light to shine light in darkness, and to bring salt, which is bring purification. But Jesus also says, number three, he says, don't think I have come to eliminate the law and the prophets. The law, Moses, the prophets, Isaiah. Don't think I've come to eliminate them. I have come to fulfill them. And everything that Jesus is doing is fulfilling the law and the prophets. The law is important. We're quite familiar with the Ten Commandments. But I want to say something about that. The name given isn't, these are called not quite commandments in the way we understand them, They're called the ordinances of God. And that word ordinance doesn't mean bullets and things like that, but in the same way that we call uh, the government place that makes maps, we call it the ordinance survey. The ordinances of God are there to show us the way that we should go. The ordinance survey produces maps, so you don't get lost, you know where you're going. And the commands of God are ordinance, the ordinances of God, so that we know where we're going. Do this, do that, don't do that, do this. And rather than the list of rules, it's the ordinances of God to show us the way that we should go. The prophets... So that the law shows us the general rules about the way we should go. The prophets show us God's word in particular situations. I was really struck reading through 
Isaiah, and the Lord said to Isaiah, go and tell them this. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go to this. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, and go and do this. And the, it just goes on and on and on. It's, and God is talking about specific things. Not quite whether you should have egg and bacon or cereal for breakfast, but lots of very specific things, God says. And the word of the Lord comes. And so the prophets are about... God talking to us individually about specific things in our lives and the lives of things going on around us. It's the law, general, and the prophets, particular. And Jesus says, I have come to fulfill those. And we're quite familiar with Jesus bringing in new ideas about laws but actually, Jesus brings in the prophetic as well. Jesus wants us to talk, wants to us to be able to hear him and hear him talking to us about lots of things every day, people we meet, what to say, what to do. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. I need to say a little bit about Elijah, just to, by way of uh, conclusion. So first of all, He was willing to be a conduit. Are we willing to be a conduit of what God is saying and wanting to say into the world? He was tough, okay? There was a lot of opposition. Come to Elijah, he's not quite so kind of tough and in your face, but his character was tough, and God called him to do things that were particular for him, and he was up for it. But he had lessons to learn, all right? We've all got lessons to learn. And one of the lessons was at Mount Horeb where the still small voice, even when Elijah was kind of overcome, I've had it, I'm done. We did the job, take me home. He wanted to go home then. But God has still got more for him to do. So he had lessons to learn. But it goes deeper than that. Now, In the English language, we use a construction called idiom. Now, um, I could ask for a few idioms, but uh, just to give you an example, uh, if I said, um, I don't know where they've gone. If I said uh, someone, um, not so clever after this morning, but if someone had kicked the bucket, we all know what that means. It's not about kicking buckets, but we know what it means. Even, you said, someone's got something on their bucket list. We all know what that means. It doesn't mean I've got a list on the side of a bucket, but we know what it means. We could have said, in, uh, when the, the rain was falling after the drought, it was raining cats and dogs. Now, fortunately, Scripture doesn't say it was raining cats and dogs, because then you get into a big argument. Did that actually mean cats and dogs were falling out of the sky Or was it an idiom? And the reason I'm doing this is the Bible does use idioms, but we don't often, or often don't, notice them. One of the things that the Bible uses for idioms, curiously, is number. Probably the best example of this is in the New Testament. Peter comes to Jesus and says, If someone wrongs me and then asks for forgiveness, how often should I forgive them in one day? 
Should I forgive them seven times? And of course, we all know, what did Jesus reply? Not seven times, but 70 times seven. In fact, I read one um, version of scripture, one translation said it. Jesus said 77 times seven, but we'll stick with 70 times seven. Now, um, the numerate among you will know that seven sevens are 49, so 70 times seven is 490. So the question is, did Jesus mean if someone sins against you, transgresses 491 times in one day, and then asks for forgiveness, do you mean that's it? Forget it? No. It's an idiom. Is that all right? And the seven, it's more than an idiom. Everybody knew Jesus didn't mean 490 and that's your lot. It's an idiom. But the seven is more important because the seven is God's character number. Seven is used through scripture to uh, point us towards God's character. And God's character is forgiving, not seven times. I'll do the other translation. Not 70 times seven, not 70. But God's character is to go on and on and on forgiving. And if there's, you find a problem with forgiveness, sorry, that's God's character. It's to go on forgiving. So when Isaiah encountered that still, small voice, he had a little chat with God, and he said, there's only me left, I've had it. And God says to him, you're not alone. God says there are 7,000 people in Israel who haven't bowed to Baal. And the thing is, did God actually mean 7,000? Or was he saying, I, God, am in command? Now, he could have said 12,000 because there were 12 tribes of Israel. And you get a bit in Revelation where there are 12,000 times thousands of people in heaven. But he didn't say 12,000. God could have said 10,000 because there were only 10 tribes. But he said 7,000. And the seven means God is in command. And thousand means there's a depth to it that is amazing. So something that Elijah had to learn was in that conflict, when that still small voice was speaking to him, God said, I am in command. And I think the 7,000, okay, maybe I'm wrong. It might be there were 7,000. But I think God is saying, I'm in command. Seven, that's me. I'm doing it. I'm running this show. And we need to know that God is in control. And that doesn't mean that things don't always go exactly as we might like. We heard of Alison's family's bereavement this morning. But God says that in in Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, pray that my will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the implication must be that sometimes God's will doesn't prevail, that other things come in. Sometimes you get the idea, uh, sorry, who was it? In uh, the fiery furnace, God said, uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they weren't going to worship Nebuchadnezzar, he said, right, into the furnace with you, 
And they said, well, God may deliver us, he may not deliver us, but whatever, we're not going into the fire. We're not going to, um, we're not going to bow down to you. And so they were willing, if it goes on, so Elijah learned his lesson. Afterwards, he still had things to do. God said to him, you must go to a different person and anoint them as king. You must go and anoint them as king. And he kept saying that. He then had to recruit Elisha. And Elisha said, it's a hard thing to follow you because all sorts of trouble follows you. But Elisha was determined to do it. He's more relaxed. There was a confrontation with Ahab, that's the king who he had the confrontation with at Mount Carmel, Ahab's son. Um, And they tried to come and arrest him, and uh, fire fell from heaven to protect him. But he was more relaxed, and in the end, somebody was sent along to arrest him, and this guy says, if I come and arrest you, fire from heaven is going to come and destroy me. Will you please come and talk to this guy? And he says, okay, I'll come. And he said, because you didn't seek God... Your life is forfeit. And he just says very clearly, and he died. So he's still tough, but he's kind of got more rounded edges. Now, Elisha, who follows on from Elijah, and I'm running out of time, Jenny, is a bit, Elijah's name means God is salvation. So not just God is God, but it's more about God's character, he's salvation. He's continuing to be a conduit for God's word. You get again with Elisha, and the Lord said this, and the word of the Lord came, and so on and so on. Um, He asked for a double portion, and uh, the record shows that there are twice as many uh, miracles. There's one that I tell you about. This is a thousand years ago. We don't count it very valuable today, but this was the beginning of the Iron Age. And there was a lot of people cutting down trees, and somebody had an iron-headed axe, and the axe fell into it was a, a servant or a slave. The axe head fell into the river. And it was, oh no, my axe head's fallen into the river. So Elijah made the iron float. And the iron floated up, and they got the axe head back. So, you know, it was kind of gentle, different character, somehow softer. Um, he learned that lesson. There was another time when um, the armies of the enemies of God were surrounding Elijah. And uh, Elijah's servant woke up in the morning and saw all these armies surrounding them. And he said, oh no, we're, we're stuffed, basically. And Elijah said, let him see. Let him see. And he saw the armies of God camping around the armies that were attacking him but a bit softer, because they weren't slaughtered. I think they went blind. And they were all arrested, and they were all cared for. And then they got their sight back, and they didn't come and bother the nation anymore after that. It's a slightly softer approach than Elijah. So coming back, Jesus says he fulfills the law. Beatitudes, be salt and light, fulfills the law, but he also fulfills the prophets. We need the word of God every day. Now, Jesus said when he was confronting the enemy, man does not live by bread alone, but by the every word that comes from the Father. 
in John, he was talking to uh, a woman at the well, and he sent his disciples off to get some food, and they brought the food back, and he said, I don't need it. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. I've got five minutes left. And then later in John, he says, I only do what I see the Father telling me to do. So Jesus very clearly is operating in the prophetic. He needs to hear what God is saying to him. It's not like Jesus was a complete package and he knew exactly, but he relied on hearing from heaven day to day, minute by minute, what to say. And that's an example of what we should be like. So, next little bit. I've talked about Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And I'm sure some of you will have tied those three that I've made kind of themes together. And it goes like this. If I can turn to it, I've got it. I will, if I run over Jenny, I'm sorry, but I'm going to do this. No, I can't find it. But Jesus, it says, uh, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up a mountain, and there Jesus was transfigured before them. He had glowing robes. He was shining like the sun. And it says, Moses and Elijah appeared, and the three of them were talking together. Jenny's trying to find a passage for me. Thank you. And it says, they're all dumbfounded. It's nine, is it? Thank you. Okay, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, led them up the mountain, apart, by themselves. He was transfigured. His garments became glistening, intensely white. And there appeared Elijah and Moses, and they were talking to Jesus. And Peter said, Master, it's fantastic to be here. Let's make three booths. Mistake. Then the voice came from heaven and said, This is my son. And the other guys had disappeared. Jesus is fulfilling the law and the prophets. Now, Jenny has been reading Colossians 18, verse 1. It was already in the PowerPoint, I'm afraid. Um, It was about 50 years ago that I started to go to church. I went to a little church not far from here. I haven't wandered far from Forest Hill. I went to a little church not far from here. And they had this part of a verse from the bit that Jenny picked out this morning. Thank you. Fantastic. Um, Over the the front of the church as their motto, if you like. And it was that in everything, he might be preeminent. And there are a few heads nodding. People who read that um, notice when it was on the wall there. And what we need to realise, and what Elijah realised, what Moses knew as well, is that Jesus is preeminent. There are all those things that Jenny read from Colossians 1, but that church had particularly picked out that Jesus in everything is to be preeminent. And if we lock that into who we are, not only the law is fulfilled, but the prophets are filled, and we need to hear God's voice day by day. And the thing that Elijah learned And the thing that we need to know through the good times and the bad is you're still 
God. I'd like to kind of play with the you're still God a little bit. I've kind of run out of time. But you can have this continuance that you're still God. There was the still, small voice of calm. And we know that God is in control. There's an old song, and I think I've got it on audio. We'll, we'll close with it in a minute. But it very clearly, old Godfrey Bertel's song, speaks very clearly that Jesus, that God, is in command. Some things don't always work out. Some things cause pain and sadness. Jesus wept when he encountered Lazarus's sisters. There's sadness, but Jesus is God. He fulfills the law and the prophets. It's not just the rules, it's the way we live. Jesus said, I do what I see the Father telling me to do. We need the prophetic in our lives. So Luke's going to play that. We'll close, just pray. Father, we do pray that we would learn from Elijah all that you want us to learn. There's so much more that we haven't touched But we thank you that the number one that we can take from his life and Elisha's is that you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lord of Lords. And in Jesus, all the image, how does it go, of the invisible God was pleased to dwell, that you in all things might be preeminent. Amen.